0: Some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood up, uh, stood at a glance he would not even look up, at, up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Thanks, Tarquin. That's good. If you are, if you're, I'll do a show of hands. Who remembers Mr. Squiggle? Who has no idea what Mr. Squiggle is? All right, good. <laughs> we go. one up the back, yes. Now, if you're, if, you're, if, you're under, if you're under 40, maybe it's a bit of a struggle. But Mr. Squiggle, I used to watch Mr. Squiggle as a kid and loved Mr. Squiggle because uh, he was this puppet with a pencil nose that was able to draw things. It was incredible. And, um, and he'd make, just so you'd send in your squiggle and he'd make things out of the squiggles. Now, I've got a picture there of a duck. In my mind... I used to think it was like this incredible picture. It's just a pretty, pretty simple duck. But I used to think they were the best things ever that he would draw. Um, but if you remember, they would sometimes um, sort of look like nothing. And you think, what has he drawn? And then all of a sudden you'd go, upside down, upside down. And, uh, and the, the lady would flip it around and there'd, there'd be this amazing drawing that he'd drawn all upside down. Pretty cool, uh, really, if you've, ever, if you've never seen it. I don't know, if you probably could Google it, Google it, you can Google anything, can't you? Um, worthwhile doing it. What has that got to do with today? Not all that much. But <laughs> we've travelled through, <laughs> through the parables over the last sort of term or so. And, and you might have got the impression that Jesus' take on society that he lived and the culture uh, that he was tr- sort of bringing forth into the world, that he was visioning out, was sort of a little bit upside down. A bit, bit like uh, if 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 they were to ask what is going on, Jesus, maybe he'd go upside down, upside down. Remember the lost coin? I can imagine people saying, "Don't go chasing the one." Upside down. The, the wedding banquet? Well, don't go and invite just anyone. You get, you could get anyone. The good Samaritan? It's not the one. He wasn't the one that was meant to be the good guy. It's an upside down gospel. It's a good news for those who may not have gotten heaps of good news. For the poor, the hurting, the sick, the lame, it's upside down for what the culture and the society were taking. This morning we're going to explore one last parable and it's a good one. Um, And then next week, we're going to kick into Advent. And we'll see that this upside-down gospel, uh, once again, is Jesus puts a tax collector into the ring with the Pharisee, a spiritual heavyweight. And the result is very upside-down. So let's pray, and we'll get into the passage. Our Lord, we give you thanks and praise that your word um, speaks truth, that it doesn't go out void. We thank you for... Um, what you have to speak to us about today. And we give you praise that we can be here, we can be online to hear the word. We pray for uh, the, the church at Upway as they still battle sickness and illness. I pray that you'll get them uh, back on track and, and, uh, and functioning again um, as a, a church Um, Lord, may you sustain them in this time. I pray for for Ted, uh, the pastor there that You You just equip him and give him energy and strength. Uh, We give you thanks for them. We thank you for this church, the blessing that it is to so many people. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that as we open up opportunity for mission and ministry, that you will just be right in the center of it. That we will not go ahead of ourselves and think, this is a great idea, let's do this for ourselves, Lord, but we're doing it all for you. That you may be glorified, not just here in this place, not just in our homes, but all through the community that we represent. We give you thanks and praise that you are good, that your gospel is upside down, that it is seeking to save those who are lost, those who are hurting, those who are broken. And we give you thanks that we can be a part of that. So bless us as we hear your word today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the parable parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector is is uh, another contrasting parable. Um, we've seen a few where there's these opposing sort of sides, this upside-down sort of nature, I suppose. And, and as we've seen, Jesus switches the story around often to make it so that, that what you see, think you're seeing is actually around the other way. It's not what society is probably expecting as such. And so this parable is one of those parables. It's a contrast between two people who live in the polar opposite spheres of society. The Pharisee and the tax collector. And so as we explore this contrast today, we're going to explore um, what justification means or looks like in the eyes of God. And we're going to contrast between what God asks for and what maybe we give. Before Jesus is even able to say a word in this parable, Luke preempts what this story is going to be about and who this story really is for. He says, To some who are confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. So who it's for, to some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on anyone else. When you start with a paragraph like that, you you perhaps get an idea of who Jesus is trying to pinpoint through his message. No one really loves someone who has got that much confidence of their own that they look down on other people. So if you're sitting in the crowd and you're listening here, maybe you're going, oh, I hope that's not me. So he brings out these two men in this story. He says there's a Pharisee and there's a tax collector. Now, in our sort of in our sort of culture, we mightn't grasp the fullness of um, the contrast. Um, we don't have the Pharisees and tax collectors uh, per se. Um, so we need to sort of understand so we can visualize who these two groups of people were. We probably in our mind's eye, if we hear Pharisee, we get a Probably a negative mental image, just based on what we have heard about them from Jesus. I suppose we hear some some of the, the sort of negative things. I, I remember the first time I ever heard the word Pharisee. I was at a beach mission. I was leaving a beach, running a beach mission, or being part of a beach mission, and and uh, we sang the song "I Just Want to Be a Sheep." If anyone know that one. Very blankly at me, very blankly. It was, I just want to be a sheep, ba 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 ba. I just want to be a sheep, ba 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 ba. I pray the Lord my soul to keep, I just want to be a sheep, ba ba ba. Then he got a, a thing. I don't want to be a Pharisee. And then they go, A Pharisee. I don't want to be a. Well, I should get you to sing it. That'd be fun. I don't want to be a Pharisee. A Pharisee. Because they're not fair, you see. Oh no, I don't want to be a Pharisee. That's, that's where I learned what this word Pharisee was. I had no idea. I wasn't a young Christian uh, on this beach mission. And so I, I learned that Pharisees are not fair. That's where I learned about the Pharisees. Um, They weren't fair. And then you see a little bit of how they treat Jesus. And you go, that's not fair. That's not fair. Most of the things we hear about the Pharisees are quite negative through Scripture. We hear um, the reality uh, of the Pharisees in Jesus' time, though, if you look into other areas, is they're not actually always the bad guy. The Pharisees were actually one of the most highly regarded of the religious groups, sects of Judaism in the area, in the in the space, there's a whole, there was there wasn't a, a whole lot of them. They weren't sort of everywhere. And um, James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary on the parables of Jesus, suggests that there was only about three thousand uh, Pharisees at any one time. They were not political figures as such, but they had some political weight because of the the because of who they were. They were the bigwigs. They were a religious body who were adamant about observing the law. So some key people we know from Scripture who were Pharisees are Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. Paul was a Pharisee. They were revered as Pharisees. So Jesus tells us that in this story, the Pharisee, who might have been in the mind of the people listening, one of the good guys, says the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. Now, we might think of that and going, he stood by himself. He went over to a space and stuff like But I think what it's trying to say is, is um, it wouldn't have been unusual for the, for the Pharisees to stand up and pray. It wouldn't have been unusual for them. In fact, if they didn't stand to pray, the, the, maybe the, the leader at the time or someone, they, they probably would have been invited to pray. It's like when I go to family dinner. I, uh, I, and Jeanette, you find this? Yep. The pastor has to pray. So you right, stand up and do my job. He uh, <laughs> to pray. Family dinner. We've gotten to past it a little bit. We're sort of pushing it off to someone else now because other people can pray apart from the pastor. Um, but, but it's like that. They, they're sort of saying, this, this guy would have stood up to pray because that's almost what was expected because that's what they did. So he stands up, but he doesn't insist, sort of. he can just imagine stands up in this regal, puffed up sort of way to pray. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. The thieves, the rogues, the adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. His prayers are really prayers of omission, aren't they? Prayers that are more about what he's not, rather than focusing on who God is. I'm not like this, I'm not like that, I'm definitely not like that guy. I wonder how people would have taken that at the time. Would, would they have believed him? I think the people that are listening would have fully accepted what he said. Probably heard it a lot of times. I think they would have thought, well, probably fast twice a week, fair enough. He probably gives a tenth of his income to the temple, fair enough. I don't think his life would be full of thievery or adultery or being a, a rogue or a bully or anything like that. I think he was probably fairly right in his assessment of himself. And I've no doubt that the people listening probably would have had the same assessment as well. In the eyes of the onlookers hearing this prayer, he would have been an outstanding religious man, a leader in the community. Why would you doubt what he was saying? He'd be the type of person that you'd probably be very privileged to know. And if you could ever get him to your house, it'd be the honour of, of the community space. So, in the eyes of those listening to Jesus, the prayer of the Pharisee was like, "Yeah, oh, yeah that's good. Yeah, the Pharisee stands up and prays. That's good. Oh, look at him. Yeah, that's good." And then they hear about the tax collector. Oh, the tax collector. Even the Pharisee's prayer mentions the tax collector, and the tax collector's appearance in the Pharisee's prayer is along with the thieves and the and the rogues and and those who are just no good in society, adulterers. The tax collector was known as pretty low down on the social scale. They were the ones that everyone liked to hate. It's always hard to find an equivalent today. It really is. Um, Our society's changed so much. Um, And I was trying to sort of rack my brain. What would be an equivalent? So if you can think of one, let me know. But I thought maybe someone like a, a, a drug dealer. Someone who gets rich off those who can't afford to give. Perhaps a corrupt banker or anyone corrupt. Maybe the, the best one, the, the telephone scammers who, who call up and, and scam you and all of a sudden they've got all your bank details and they take money out of your bank and they're getting away with it. Boyce, the same, the same book, the same um, uh, author, he said they were, tax collectors were thought like this. No good money-grubbing, cheating Roman collaborators. <laughs> I reckon that's a bit harsh in the way that they see them. But it's a fair way to describe someone that you don't like. The reality is they weren't liked. They weren't liked. And that's how they were seen in this society. Tax collectors were they were Jews. So they were part of the Jewish people. But they were empowered or employed by the Roman government to collect all the taxes for them. And if you could get more, you could keep that which was on the top, skimming the money off and making money out of it. And it was to their own people that they were taking the money from. So it wasn't even just other, it was, it was to their own people. So you can understand why they didn't like the tax collectors so much. And so the tax collector, Jesus tells us, he stood at a distance where he should. Stand back there. You don't deserve to be part of the rest of us. That is your place. That's where you belonged. He was not in the crowd. His profession of choice sort of ostracized him, pushed him away. And he didn't belong up the front with all the good people. You know what? We don't hear the story, back story of, of why this guy became a tax collector. We don't know the story of whether he lost his wife and his kids and that was the last thing. Someone came along, I, I can offer you a job. It's a tax collector. You'll, get, you'll, you'll be all right. Maybe he's a good guy. We don't hear any of this. We only know that because of his profession, he's pushed to the side. And he prays. But when he prays, he, he, verse 13 tells us, He would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. And the listeners might have heard, overheard him praying and look at him going, That's right. Yeah, you're a sinner, all right. You better beat your breast. You better hope God hears because you're going to need that. The tax collectors are the type of people that, as you're going down the street, you cross the road to avoid them. So, Jesus talks of a Pharisee and a tax collector. It was like he said there's this high ranking police officer, well known, well renowned throughout the society and this seasoned criminal. They were such worlds apart. Such a contrast. You probably couldn't get a bigger contrast in their society. The contrast was in their occupation. They had a noble sort of person and the, the scum. The contrast was in a, a character. You had this, this proud man and this man who was very shameful. The contrast was in a self-understanding Confident, self confident, and I suppose almost cringeworthy. Everything in this story so far points to the, the tax collector is going to be the one that's going to be judged. The, the Pharisee is the one that's going to win this story. He's going to be the hero of the story. In the boxing ring, this guy is going to be beaten up in round one. Yep, the, Jesus concludes the parable. And he turns the judgment that the crowd would be considered, considering due to the, to the tax collector. Hey, this guy's going to get the judgment. He actually puts it elsewhere. And he makes this conclusion regarding the tax collector. He says, I tell you, this man went home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. But all who humble themselves will be exalted. How do you think the crowd's are feeling now? That's not what they're expecting. That's up or down. <laughs> it's an ending that the Hollywood producers wouldn't have, wouldn't have been after. They want the, the big glory stuff. However, we are aware this story is not really about the two men and their differences, is it? This story is all about God. And there's one word in verse 14 that if you've got your Bibles, if you underline your Bibles, if you highlight or whatever, underline or highlight this word because it helps us understand it. And it's that word justified. Justified. You know, in the Bible, um, biblical sense, justified means or can be defined as declared or made righteous in the sight of God. Being made right in God's eyes. Now, that is not something the Pharisee, Nor the tax collector could do on their own. It's not something that that this guy could make happen. It's not something that this guy could make happen. They can't do that for themselves. You can't declare yourself right in God's eyes. The Pharisee of his background with God's law, living to the law, and the hated tax collector, probably did some bad stuff in society and took money that he shouldn't have. But those things didn't justify either of them. They were both sinners. They both became on the level plane. Perhaps the Pharisee's sin was less obvious. Maybe his sin was done in private. Maybe he didn't fast twice a week. Maybe he only fasted once. Or maybe he said he did and didn't really. Maybe he didn't give a tenth. He just sort of, sort of put a few things in and made it pushed the the coins into the bowl so it sounded like it was a tenth. Maybe. We don't know. We don't know the story. But we all know, we know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. It reminds us that there is no space in God's kingdom to compare faith in Jesus with another person. There's no space. You can't stand up on your pedestal and say, well, at least I'm not like him. At least... I'm better than that person. The, the, the prayer of omission is actually a, a really harsh prayer. He can't say, my faith's going to get you further than what you're doing there. Because you're going to need a lot more grace. I'm more important in God's kingdom. Have you seen my list of things that I do? Have you seen my servant sort of, sort of things that I do? Have you seen how much I read the Bible? Have you seen how I pray? I've got all the right words. You know, that's why we've got to be really careful as church people to, to step into church or even outside of the church and see someone who maybe doesn't dress the same or, or worships slightly different to us or goes to a different church and, and has a slightly different way of doing things because we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. We're all in need of Jesus, each and every one of us. And we all need to be justified through His death. But there was this stark difference—one more stark difference between the tax—the uh, tax collector and the Pharisee—and it's how they approached God. Both sinners, deserving of judgment, but the difference in the approach made a difference in how Jesus shared about them. The tax collector approached God on the basis of God's merciful acts towards sinners the Pharisee approached God based on his own righteousness look at me this is what I've done this is who I am and I'm definitely not like them see what it seems to be, thinking, what it seems to be pointing to is the key to the teaching on justification lands all on the, this prayer that the tax collector says and it's only a short prayer, seven words in the English six words in the Greek and, and it's quite profound he says Not looking up, he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And through this short prayer, we can find two elements, two key elements that will help us in our faith moving forward. The first one is that it it says, God, a sinner. God, me, a sinner. If we take out that little part, that be merciful to, it, it comes to God, me, a sinner. The reality of the prayer is is that, that we are all in that boat. The words of the tax collector didn't come from something that he'd learnt. Maybe he had learnt it in the past, but it didn't come from something he learnt. He said, God, me, a sinner, it's a genuine response that has come from an encounter with a holy God. Because when we come to know God in a a very real way, we actually start to become very aware of our own inefficiencies. We start to understand who we are in the light of God. If we truly know God and the fullness of God, we're going to understand His holiness. And in His holiness, our state as sinners actually becomes a lot clearer. But you know what that does? It emphasises our need for God and his mercy. It becomes so much clearer. It's like standing on the edge of a cliff and, and, and sort of looking out at the other side going, oh, it'll be great and being prepared to walk off, but not even looking down to see that there's nothing in front of you. It's going to end in disaster. You don't see it and you step forward anyway. It's not until you look down that you realise the reality of what's in front of you. Adam and Eve, they saw this dark reality in their life. They knew what it was like to walk physically with God. How cool would that have been? To walk physically with God, in communion, hand in hand with God. How great would that be? And then they sinned. They turned their back on God. They said, God, I'm going to do this my own way, and I'm going to have this, my, this apple. I'm going to take it, and this is going to be great. I'm going to see more. I'm going to, and it became a me thing. And they deluded themselves to think that they were right in this. So they started doing things. They made fig leaves to cover themselves. They didn't even know they were naked until they'd sinned. They hid from God. They separated themselves from God. And the consequences were that they were forever separated out of the garden, in the physical sense, evicted. Peter sensed this separation as well. Um, when Peter recognised who Jesus was after he caught fish in, the fish in Galilee, Peter responded with the words from Luke 5.8, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. He said, I can't be around you. <laughs> there have been a few times where I've seen someone come forward to the front while they've been pray, being prayed for or something like that, perhaps finding themselves just overwhelmed with this brokenness because of their sin and asking Jesus to take them. This tax collector must have had some experience of God in this moment, some strong experience, because he could not even look heavenward. He understood his need for forgiveness. The Pharisee, on the other hand, he's out there, he's puffed up chest, and his prayer, he starts his prayer by acknowledging God, but his posture before God was someone that was not acknowledging that God was part of who he was. He didn't acknowledge uh, his sin. He rather looked at himself in the light of everyone else's sin. And that's not what God wants. He didn't understand the gravity of his own sin. And I wonder if you know the gravity of your own plight without God. Because each and every one of us are sinners. We all need saving. We all need the mercy of God. And acknowledging God's holiness and our sinfulness is a starting point for godly living. The second thing that this uh, prayer from the, the tax collector tells us is he says, Be merciful to me. Be merciful to me. The tax collector understood his position before God, that he was aware of his sin, that maybe he's done some stuff that justified why these people didn't like him. But he was also aware that God had done something that was going to help him deal with this problem. He recognised he was a sinner, someone who's walked away from God's holiness, alienated from God because of his sin. But God has reconciled himself back to this man, to all humanity. He's bridged that gap. The middle of the tax collector's prayer says, Be merciful to me. And the only way this man could be justified in God's sight was not because of something that he could do on his own. He couldn't do more stuff to make his way to God. He couldn't sort of fight his way to be like the Pharisee. Rather it was through the recognition that the tax collector came to, only God can do this. Be merciful to me, it's only because of the actions of God's mercy and only because of God's love and grace that the tax collector or each and every one of us can be made right with God. That goes for the Pharisee, it goes for the people watching, it goes for the people standing there judging. But here's the even more profound part of this tax collector's prayer the mercy that comes from God is through the sacrifice of Jesus. It's the only way. He laid down his life as a substitute for our sin. The words of the prayer, when we unpack that short prayer, actually we can go a little bit further. It's not just a plea for mercy. Our English translation gives us that impression a little bit. But rather it's a plea for mercy based on what God has already done. The words be merciful to me, is translated into, in the Greek, it's more about a verb, verb regarding the mercy seat. Let me sort of explain that a little bit. Um, it, it, the, the words would literally, and it doesn't make sense in our English language, literally be translated, be mercy seat towards me. Be mercy seat. Now, what's, well, let, me, let me open that up a little bit. Sort of, sort of saying, like, treat me as one who, who comes to you on the basis of the blood that's shed for me. Now, the, you might know about the Ark of the Covenant if you, if you do. It's a, it was a wooden box that was covered in gold. It's very intricate, um, and you can read about it in, in the Scriptures. Um, but it contained the stone tablets of the law of Moses. So it was, a, it, was a, it, was, it was the presence of God on earth in essence. Now, the lid of this box was called the mercy seat. So that's what he's referring to when he's, um, he's talking about the mercy seat. Now, it was made of gold, and there were angels set on each end. And it was believed that God would sit with this on this mercy seat. Now it's called the mercy seat for a reason. This was once a year on the Day of Atonement, the highest priest would sprinkle blood from an animal that had been just killed, a pure animal. That animal was the substitute for the people's sin. It was an innocent victim who died in the place of the sinful people who deserved death. Because for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And the wage of the sin is death. God. Yet God, as that um, atonement was happening, God did not see the sin of the guilty. Rather he saw the blood of the innocent. The blood of this sacrificial animal that changed, exchanged its life for them. So, so it's almost a prophetic uh, prayer. The tax collector's prayer is profound. Because he understands that this, this, this gap that's caused because of his sin, there's a cavern in between. And yet, he prays, be merciful to me. He understood that between God and him, in that verse where he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, has to sit something else has to sit this seat of mercy, a bridge that's, that is of sacrifice that brings God and humanity together. And of course, we know that this is a picture that only Jesus can fulfill. Yet that wasn't there yet. Jesus was still speaking this message out. People listening are starting to get a picture of this in, Jesus, in what Jesus is saying. So whilst the cat, tax collector is thinking of this sacrificial animal, everyone around starting to go, what is the deeper message here? We have the hindsight of knowing what Jesus has done. So we think Jesus straight away. That's what makes this profound. Because Jesus is revealing who he is already through this parable. He's revealing his fullness that there is a sacrifice that is atoning for one. salvation will come through the sacrifice and that gap will be bridged I wonder for us for you have you bridged that gap today I wonder if you're like the tax collector maybe not in lifestyle but I wonder if you're aware of your brokenness aware of Of the sin that brings you in the need of a saviour. And don't look at the person next to you and go, well, eh, they're worse. (laughs) Because we all need the mercy seat, don't we? A need that's been and forever will be fulfilled through one person. Jesus Christ. Or I wonder if you're more standing up, nice and proud about your faith... A little like the Pharisee saying, well, actually I'm not as bad as that person. Praying prayers of what you're not rather than laying yourself down before Christ. A sinner saved by the mercy seat of God through Jesus Christ. The reality of this parable is that Jesus says justification only comes through faith in the sacrificial lamb we know that is Jesus Christ we know that what he's done for us provides that bridge to him maybe today you need to check your posture maybe today your posture needs to be one on your knees asking forgiveness saying Lord I know that I'm not adequate I know that in myself, I can't reach you, but I know that your mercy is for me. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we give you thanks and praise that you are good, that your love goes well beyond our expectation, that God, you look at me, a sinner and your mercy covers it that we have been made clean that the bridge to you has been made solid through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice so our Lord today if there's anyone here that needs your presence, your touch I pray that you become that you are very real to them that they are open to you And that through this week, you'll speak clearly into the reality of who we are. Sinners saved by a merciful God. We give you thanks and praise. Amen.